When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Boiler Alert podcast. With you, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. I'm Ryan Bonaparte. And Ryan is back, fresh from Chicago, from the United Center, where he witnessed a Purdue victory over seemingly Purdue's biggest rival right now, uh, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Purdue 70, Rutgers 65. Uh, one heck of a ball game, a nail-biter. Uh, Ryan... Just tell me about uh, being in attendance this one. We don't have to talk about the game right right away, uh, but what was it like being there covering the game at the United Center? Yeah, uh, I got to steal a seat and was in the second row. So uh, thank you to 11 Warriors for not showing up before the Ohio <laughs> State game. So I had somewhere to sit. There we go. Uh, yeah, I heard it was a bit crowded there on, uh, on Media Row and uh, not exactly the most organized uh, event you've been to. Uh, nope, nope. I can honestly say I've been to better organized uh, Good. events, so. Well, uh, hopefully it will be a little better, better, uh, tomorrow when you return. Um, was the food good at least? It, it was okay. I mean, I had a pretty gourmet looking grilled cheese okay. and some uh, fries, so not too bad. They had chicken sandwiches as well and some soup options and salads. Not bad. Good, good, good. So, all right. And you wore the you wore the not cursed shirt. 
Correct. Okay. Yep. Um, as as you can see by the results, I mean Purdue uh, walks away with a six, 70 to sixty five victory over Rutgers, and mm-hmm. it was a hard fought game the entire way. Um, let's just go half by half. Um, the first half was man. We you know we talked about in the last podcast about how we wanted Purdue to come out um, and be the one doing the punching in the mouth, um, but it mm-hmm. certainly wasn't that way. Uh, to start, Ooh. Purdue goes down by as much as twelve in that first mm-hmm. half. Um, you know what? What did Rutgers do in the first half to put Purdue on their heels? Well, they instantly started pressing, yeah. and it slowed down the offense. Um, Purdue didn't have too many issues getting through the press, but once your rhythm's thrown off, everything can change. And then they really limited the ability to get the ball in deep to Zachini. Yeah. Yeah, that they was... They were picking off passing lanes, and they were absolutely just face-guarding every single player. Yeah. It was, you know, they stuck to you like glue, and they made it really hard to really get any ball movement. And we all know Purdue is kind of known for its ball movement when it comes to offense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... They had not only you know their their big guy down low on Edie, but they had generally two other guys sagging onto him uh, when he got the ball. And right. he, to your point, they were absolutely doing their best to deny the entry pass to Edie. Uh, poked away a couple, forced Purdue into just really bad passes because Purdue was trying to get the ball to Edie. You know, as they should. He's their best player, um, right. but they have to do it in a smarter way. And the rest of the team has to be able to hit open shots to kind of take the pressure off of Edie to not allow those defenders to sag. And in the first half, Purdue was just not hitting shots, especially from deep. Yeah, it, it just was not happening. When uh, Rutgers went up 17-5, to it was, it was pretty bad. Purdue, I think, was one of eight from three-point shot um, at that point, and it did not look pretty. Um and Purdue was, they weren't forcing shots. They had open shots, but yes. was not hitting. Yeah, they had they had very open shots. Um, I mean, and it wasn't just one guy on Purdue who couldn't hit. It was basically right. everyone. I mean, in that first half, Purdue was 2 of 10. And combined, mm-hmm. I believe, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, uh, Caleb First were 0 for 6. And there was one other person, uh, I believe, who missed 2. Um, so combined, the four of them were, were 0 for 8. But, man, it was a very bad shooting half. And right. and when when so much of what you're doing depends on Zach Eady being able to work, if you can't show the defense that you at least have a threat from deep, they can just sag on him so much harder and make his life so much more difficult. Yeah, but the one caveat to that was because Rutgers was playing so hard and so physical, they started racking up the fouls. They did, yeah. So that was was sort of the saving grace for Purdue um, early in that first half was Rutgers was up 17-5, to but I think they had five fouls by that point. So if you had some of the players get into foul trouble, which by the end of the game, Rutgers did have – a lot of foul trouble. Yeah, and and on two of their most important players. Exactly. So it was, you wanted Purdue to hit those shots, and it felt rough at that point, but once Purdue finally started getting into the rhythm, 
and it took about eight to ten minutes into the game to happen, that's when Purdue started steadily climbing back. They hit, you know, as you said, two of ten from three, but then they started hitting some free throws. They started getting some layups. Zach Eady got going a little bit. I believe he had 10 at halftime, so he was doing his thing and getting to his jump hook, which you love to see. Yeah, and he had at one point back-to-back and ones, um, which is just huge. I mean, you know, it's it's the non-traditional three-point play, but it's just as good as somebody stepping back behind the line and and hitting one from deep. Yes, and Rutgers was very fortunate on that second three-point play because they had just taken out Cliff Amore. Yes. See, I learned his name. Um, they just took him out after his second foul, and it was uh, Woodford, Wolford, the second-string second second, second guy. Second-string. Yeah, their other tall guy. Um, he had come in, and he picked up the second uh and one that from Edie, who just looked mean when he did it. I uh, mean, good for Zach Edie. Apparently, it's Wolfolk. Wolfolk? W O O L F O L K. Wolfolk. Okay. Yeah, so he came in and he picked up that foul. But Purdue got into a rhythm finally, and just Mason Gillis came to play in this game. Yes. I mean, but, I mean good for him. First half, too. I mean, he was one of the mm-hmm. only reasons um, when Zach Eady was going, you know, having a slow start, he was kind of the reason that Purdue was still in that game. Yeah, in the first half, Purdue scored 29 points. Eady had 10, Gillis had 10, and was it New or was it uh, Jenkins who had 6? It could have been. could have been. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, 26 of yes, it was. He 29 had six. points. Yeah were all scored by three players. So you definitely don't like to see that much concentration. But... Yeah. Yeah, that was it was definitely a little worrying. Um and when mm-hmm. I was talking about those the O for eight, uh Newman was the other one. Uh so he also went over two. So those four players for right. Purdue were O for eight from three. Um mm-hmm. and so to your point we had basically three guys who were doing all the scoring for Purdue and that does, you know, worry you mm-hmm. a little bit because if if a team can kind of shift their defense and just slow down one more of those guys you are in for uh, a world of hurt if no one steps up yeah and you saw it in Purdue's young guards they really struggled in this game yeah and just it's been it's been a steady trend lately Fletcher lawyer has not looked the same as he did early in the season you wonder if it's sort of you know he's hitting that he hit that wall uh, that freshman wall but you wonder that but I will say for in Fletcher's defense one thing he did very well today and it goes hand in hand with picking up the fouls he drew a lot of fouls in the game yeah and it may be just finally he got the call from the refs but I believe he drew three or four fouls in the first half so it's not like he wasn't aggressive with the ball. It's just he's not hitting those open shots. Right. Yeah. He and had, mm, yeah, he, he had rough wide open shots. Um, yes. And for a guy who is the type of shooter of Fletcher Lawyer, you know, we know what he is capable of. He's shown us what he can do. You know, I mean, he won the national three point shooting contest for heaven's sakes the, the summer before he came to Purdue. Um, but 
he he just to have him miss those open shots really hurts the Purdue offense. But um, I, I mentioned on Twitter that you know Purdue needs more from him. He needs to play better. Um, and you know Purdue legend Chris Kramer uh, said on you know replied and said obviously basically you know I agree, but um, mm-hmm. he's still out there running, cutting hard, going through the the offense, and he draws so much attention from the opposing defense that having him mm-hmm. out there uh, does wonders for the offense. And I think that's true to a degree. Um, but if Lawyer right. doesn't, you know, hit the occasional shot, I'm not sure how long that's going to continue um, yeah, because he, he is shooting just so poorly right now. Right. And that's, that's the good thing about Fletcher Lawyer is when his offense is on, obviously he's more than warranted for being on the floor. The problem right now is his offense has not been on, and on defense, he is just getting picked on. Yeah, They are going straight at Fletcher Lawyer. They know that right now he's the weak link on ball defense, and you know the opposing teams are definitely exploiting that. So yeah. it almost... I was going to wait until a little bit later in the uh, segment to ask this, but at what point does... Fletcher Lawyer get that, okay, I need to bench you right now if you're Matt Painter, just to sign, sort of send a message, you know, jumpstart him, see if that'll happen. I, I almost say do it tomorrow um, mm-hmm. because you can put in Jenkins um, Jr., who I assume would be the one you would suggest, or maybe Morton. I mean, I'm not sure which route you would want to go. Um, right. Both of those guys had good games today, and Painter has – you know, in the in the Penn State game in Philly, he benched Lawyer coming into the second half, um, mm-hmm. allowed him to sit on the bench for a few minutes, let let him uh, get a view from there, see what the team was doing, and then he came back in and he played much better after having a really bad first half in that game. So uh, mm-hmm. it's clear Lawyer can really respond to that and is willing to learn and do whatever it can do whatever he can to help the team. So I wouldn't right. be surprised if maybe. Uh, Jenkins Jr. gets rewarded for his play today um, with a start, and Lawyer kind of starts on the bench. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with Jenkins more so than Morton, just because it's more of a one-to-one transfer between those two right. as well. So, um, And anytime you bring in more veteran leadership into your starting lineup, it should help. Um and, you know, obviously this entire ordeal is to get more out of Fletcher Lawyer, see if you can jumpstart what he needs to do to get his shooting back on. And if it does, it's it's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, if you get his shooting to go, Purdue wins this game by 15 points. So, um, obviously, that's kind of the goal, but... We'll see what Matt Painter does tomorrow yeah. morning. Yeah, and your mention of his defense reminds me so much of what happened uh, with Sasha Stefanovic last year and two years ago in the NCAA tournament. Teams would just, you know, switch, you know, screen and switch on to him with their best player, uh, and then their mm-hmm. best player would just carve him up on offense. And you saw it time and time again, and it's how Purdue lost games in the NCAA tournament. And I really, really don't want to see Fletcher Lawyer be put in that position, especially as a freshman. Um, it would be so difficult on his confidence um, and on mm-hmm. his growth as a player, I think, to see that happen. So I really hope um, 
things start falling for him on the offensive side so that it takes a little bit of the pressure off on him on the defensive side. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, obviously he can still grow into a role. Oh, absolutely. Um, he's incredibly talented. We all know that. So it's not like it's not like if Matt Painter does this, I don't think it's going to get into his head. I, it can for some players, but Fletcher Lawyer is not that player. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. So only other thing I wanted to mention about the first half is mm-hmm. the other thing we said we were scared of was the Rutgers defense and the ability to cause turnovers. Uh, especially mm-hmm. steals, and sure enough, Purdue ran into that problem in the first half, and at times in the second, but more so, uh, more so in the first half. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Rutgers finished this game with nine steals, and it was right. just incredible. Active hands, mm-hmm. getting into passing lanes. Purdue looking a bit slow or a bit lazy on a pass here or there. Rutgers was always there to take advantage. I mean, it, it was it was a really really good showing from the from the Rutgers defense. Yeah, and we knew this coming in. This is the kind of team that Rutgers is. This is the kind of team that had beaten Purdue five of the past six meetings. So you knew that, and you knew Coach Painter knew that. So yeah. he definitely he, he definitely had to have instilled something in his guys to say, all right, we know what they're going to do. Let's get around it. But that's all well are well done when you're talking in practice yeah it's easy to do it in practice practice. and then exactly you you get into full (laughs) speed against guys you're not really familiar with and suddenly it looks a lot different and it's a lot more difficult Mm -hmm. yeah for sure so um purdue found a way to respond uh despite that first punch and wound up going into halftime with a one point lead much better uh than the last time these two teams played when purdue went into halftime i believe down 10 so uh, much, much better. And then the second half came out, and Ryan, what did we see in the second half? Was it more of the same? Was it a little bit different? What was going on in the second half? Uh, for the majority of the second half, it was sort of like a back-and-forth battle. Um, no t- no team got more than a four-point lead for, I want to say, the first 12 minutes. Ooh. And then Purdue started to uh, pick it up a little bit, got the lead up to eight, nine points, and you thought they started to coast a little bit, and eventually things got a little bit chippy. Yeah. And fouls started to rack up for Rutgers. And, oh, then and I, once... before we get into what happened there, I want to talk about the fouls mm-hmm. just for one second. So yep. in, in the second half, for the first, I believe, 11 minutes, Rutgers was called for one foul. And, <laughs> and then possession. in a span of like six game seconds... They were mm-hmm. called for four fouls. One single possession, yeah. Yep. And brought uh, Cliff Amore, it racked up his third and fourth foul. And which I, I just, again, I've harped on this this entire season. I, I feel like this is the worst season of NCAA, and specifically Big Ten officiating, I've ever seen. And I've been watching mm-hmm. Big Ten basketball, um, you know, for almost 30 years at this point. And... The fact that you cannot officiate a game the same from one half to another, even Mm -hmm. one half of a half to another, is astounding. Because I agree that the four fouls they caught on Rutgers, those were fouls. But those were fouls that they could have called 19 minutes left in the second half, 18 minutes, 17 Mm -hmm. minutes. There were fouls that were going uncalled throughout the entire time on both sides. I mean, the refs were equally bad. Um 
but to suddenly call one call the game with with allowing contact for the first 11 plus minutes of the second half and then to call four fouls in a 6 second time span and then two fouls I believe on the next P- mm-hmm. Purdue possession uh so mm-hmm. six fouls on two possessions it makes no sense it cuts down and cuts away from the flow of the game it makes it much more hard it much more difficult to watch and enjoy and it just makes the players have no idea what they're doing, what they're getting involved in. And these officials have got to answer some questions because there is no way this is how a game should be officiated. Right, and I know us coming as Purdue fans, the foul situation, us thinking there should be more fouls, which rightfully there should be, that's almost always to the advantage of Purdue. It's just how they play. Um, so I know how this sounds coming from our mouths to everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone else also agrees that the refs are not doing a consistent job. I put on Twitter early in the or in the first half about a call. If you can hear the sound of slapping someone's arm right. from the third row and on TV, apparently. Oh yeah, so you could hear it. You're talking about exactly. the Trey Kaufman Wren. Um, yes, uh, it was a jumper. I believe he yeah. was going for a jumper and yep. got and just got hammered slapped. on his arm. Yeah, you could hear it throughout the building. That's a foul. You know, it's not difficult to understand the difference of a sound of you hitting a ball and you hitting an arm. Yeah. Which, funnily enough, at the same end in the second half, Ethan Morton got an all ball block, and you could just tell the sound difference. But DJ Carsonson did not want to call that foul. And it was very egregious. You know, sometimes you get one wrong. But with the way the officiating has been throughout this entire season, you can't get that wrong. Yeah, It's like you got to play makeup at this point and do everything correct just to get your average up. You know, it's like that final exam. If you had an F throughout the, se- or throughout the year, you can't still... <laughs> Make it up with just a single A. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I've done that before. Not mm. not maybe with an F, but I'll tell you what. In my first math class at Purdue, I uh, went in thinking, you know, I was the smart guy in high school. I was going to be fine. Go in, take my first exam, get it back. I failed the exam and was like, oh, I guess I need to, like, study in college. Oh, uh, you did that too? Yeah. I also did that. I think a lot of people did that, but that was like mm. – that was one of those moments for the kid who never got worse than like uh, a B plus on a report card in his life was all of a sudden like, mm-hmm. oh, so this is like a thing. Uh, but then hey, I pulled that up to an A by the end of the year. So you know you right. gotta you gotta put in the work, and that's what these refs need to do. They gotta put in yes. some work. But exactly. so uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there. You were talking about when it got chippy um, and things right. almost got out of hand a little bit there in the second half. Yeah. So. Um, it was when they started playing the foul game, you know, it was towards the end. Purdue, I believe, was up seven or eight at the time. Brandon Newman got a rebound, and they fouled him. They went for, they thought it was going to be a jump ball, which there's another call we can talk about when it comes to jump balls. Like, anyway, um, Brandon Newman got fouled, and none of the three players that were in the play wanted to let go. It was Newman, uh, Paul Mulcahy, and some other Rutgers guy. I don't remember who. Yeah, he's not important in this story. No, he's not. So, 
None of them wants to let go, and it's starting to just everyone's starting to tug on the ball. And there have been multiple whistles, multiple yeah. whistles, exactly. And then you have seven four Zach Eady comes in and starts trying to play peacemaker or intimidator or just like get in there, kind of push everyone aside, break everything up, and just get going. Well, Zach Eady's seven foot four. Paul McCahey is shorter than that. Yeah, he is not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So Edie's elbow comes a little high. It's at his chest, mind you. But, oh, my God, Paul McCahey deserves an Oscar for the flop that he gave on this. Absolutely just head fake. Looked like he about got whiplash. Yeah, you would have you would have thought there was a sniper in the in the rafters. The way he shot his head back. I mean, it was ridiculous. And I agree. You know, Edie's a big guy, and I'm sure there was more force to it than it looked like on TV. But mm-hmm. when they when they showed the replay, and I noticed they changed the angle they were showing the replay on TV to a different mm-hmm. one to make it look less obvious because the first one they showed. The the flop was so egregious. I mean, just threw his head back and acted like Edie, you know, just punched him in the chest. But it, it was nothing of the sort. And Edie ultimately right. gets called for a flagrant one. Mm-hmm. Um, they they might have changed it to a technical. Um, it was just technical. Okay, they said tech. they said on TV originally that it was a flagrant one, um, and then later on they said it was a technical. So I wasn't sure where they wound mm-hmm. up officially. Um, and you know what? I'm fine with it. Um, right. Because Mulcahy was acting like an idiot, and Newman was just doing what he could to hang on to the ball because, hey, it's my ball, we're moving on, mm-hmm. trying to just keep the play going, and I have no problem with Edie stepping in to protect his guy. Um, I don't think there was going to be any sort of you know push from Mulcahy or anything like that, but he was trying to intimidate mm-hmm. his team, and Zach Edie, as the leader of this team, stepping in, I absolutely loved it. I have no problem. Exactly. I mean, I have no problem. Like, do I think Edie deserved the foul? Yes, because he inserted himself into the situation after the whistles. That's fine. If he picks up that foul or that tech, I'm okay with that. I just wish they could have then gone back and called a flop on yeah. uh, Mulcahy because yeah. it was so just egregious. Yeah. I mean, the only thing he could have done more is literally just take his headband off. <laughs> that would have been oh. that would have been great. <laughs> oh goodness! So I mean, yeah, that's about as chippy as it got. Um, the other play that I kind of alluded to before was a jump ball oh. where Cliff Amore just straight up looked like his arms were a hula hoop around Zach Eady from behind him. Yeah. He was just straight up bear hugging him and got a jump ball out of it. it yeah. I don't understand how that's possible. I don't either. And it would have been his fifth foul too. Yep. So uh, needless to say, Big Ten refs need to get better, but we know that. Yeah. But there was, you know, someone else did get better in the second half, and that was Purdue's three-point shooting. Uh, oh, yes. So – who who do we have to thank for the increased uh, three point shooting in that second half? Who who did their job? Um, the shot clock did its job. <laughs> That's in right. Yeah. under five seconds for David Jenkins Jr., who had back to back shots, just time dwindling down, and just hit deep threes. Um, three Ethan for Morton three. A couple. Three for yeah. three for David Jenkins Jr. Mm hmm. So I mean, that's that's all you can ask for. That is awesome from him. 
Um, four for four from the field, too. Yeah. He had a nice and one uh, jumper in the first half. So, very, very good day for him. Um, Gillis was two of three from three-point shot, and Morton hit two big ones as well. So, yeah. So, I mean, you can... Not normal shooters, but... No. Hey, anyone, no. anyone can step up. That's right. Any given night. So, you, you, you compare it to the first half where Purdue was two of ten... Uh, they wound up 5 of 10 in the second half for a nice, clean, crisp 50% uh, from deep. So much more of what we would love to see each and every game from this team. And there's nothing really more you can ask. They gave all their effort. And for as good as a first half that Mason Gillis had, he had just as well in the second half. Yeah, He ended up with five offensive rebounds, and I want to say four of those... Uh, were put back into a layup. Like, oh my goodness, I'm so happy that you can just finally get these hustle plays turned into points. Yeah. It doesn't always happen for someone in that role, but, um, and I asked him about this after the game, and at, he said, you know, you're basic, well, I'm doing what I have to do. It doesn't mean I have to score, but it's gotta feel good for a guy like yeah. him. Yeah. Just to see that reward or see your hard work rewarded with points and yeah. obviously a victory. Yeah, I mean, he was Purdue's leading scorer today with 20, um, and it was mm. just one rebound shy of a double-double. He had 20 and 9. Um, mm. Just just an excellent all-around game. He did have three uh, turnovers, so you don't love that, but against this Rutgers team with such a pesky defense, you'll you'll deal with it as you go forward because he did everything else just right. So, down the stretch, you know, Purdue and Rutgers traded traded uh, some buckets. Purdue was able to hang on via some free throws. Fletcher Lawyer was important there. You know, he was three or four from the free throw line So um, mm-hmm. on this game. So he did his part in that one. So you got to appreciate – I'm sorry, four for five uh, from the free mm-hmm. throw line. So um, he still came in and did what Purdue needed him to do in that instance. So uh, kudos to him for, on a tough night, still getting the job done at the line. So – Anything else about this Rutgers game before we talk about who Purdue has next? Uh, no, I'm just happy I can now pronounce Cliff Amore correctly. Yes. Just in time for me to forget his name before That's right. next season. That's right. Oh, so there was one thing I wanted to mention I realize now. Uh, the mm-hmm. final, so someone went back and, and did the math on this. Uh, and this is real Eric the Red on Twitter, so thank you for this. Uh the final four minutes of the Purdue Rutgers came, Rutgers game took 32 minutes and included five trips to the monitor for review. Mm. At the four minute mark, Rutgers <laughs> was down by four. They ended up losing the game by five. It was never in that time period a one possession game. It was 32 minutes of nothing changing. Wow. So kudos to the officials again <laughs> for just substituting themselves as the stars of the show what everybody came to see, um, and just wasting everyone's time. So kudos to them yet again. Yeah, and them, them people from Jersey, they can they can yell at refs. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so now Purdue heading to the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament, and uh, mm-hmm. their opponent was going to be Michigan State or Ohio State. And Ohio State did it again. They have now won three games in a row, three games in three days, and Purdue will be taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes uh, tomorrow at 1 Eastern, uh, noon Central. So 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there are questions about this Ohio State team now. Um, are they going to be tired? Fourth game in four days. Um, right. How tired are their legs? Will that affect their shooting? Sensabaugh uh, did not play today for Ohio State because of knee sore. Will mm-hmm. he play tomorrow? We just don't know. Uh, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of question marks. Uh, what what stands out to you about this game on uh, on Saturday that you're looking forward to or need answers to? Yeah, I think the biggest question is uh, if Sensabaugh is going to play. Yeah, I mean, obviously they got it done today without him. Just um, you know, they their freshmen are starting to pull it together. They're kind of doing the opposite of what Fletcher Lawyer has been doing. They are just booming at the correct time. But um, when you have that, when you play three games in three days, as you said, are you going to be tired or are you just going to be so adrenaline-packed that you, it just keeps you going? They're the first team to ever play on both Wednesday and Saturday. Yeah. And, you know, obviously their teams don't do that normally, and it's for good reason. It is hard to play three games in three days, let alone four in four game, or four days. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I saw in the postgame interview, Chris Holtman said that he is wearing a lucky uh, suit and that he's getting it pressed every day. So we'll see who's, uh, we'll see who's lucky. Yeah, whose outfit is luckier. clothing is better. Yeah. Um, so Purdue and Ohio State, of course, these two teams have played uh, twice already this year. Purdue went mm-hmm. to Ohio State when Ohio State was still ranked, uh, back when we thought they were going <laughs> to be a very good team. And uh, they were ranked 24th at the time. Purdue won six, or 71-69 to 69 in that one. And that started Ohio State's skid. Um, where they really just kind of fell off the map, lost, I think, something like 14 games in a row, um, just couldn't put anything together after losing to Purdue. And then uh, they played most recently on February 19th, and uh, Purdue walked away with an easy victory in that one, 82-55. to So uh, it is, as they always say, it's hard to beat a team three times in one season, so we will see if Purdue can do that um, on Saturday. My hope really is that you know, fourth game in four days and less than 24 hours uh, rest for Ohio State really gets to them and they just look tired. I mean, they've, it's been a great story for them to kind of put it all together at this point, but, you know, great story or not, Purdue's who I'm rooting for and Purdue's who I want to win. So uh, let's hope the story ends tomorrow. Yeah, and like you said, it's just really hard and I think – the first Purdue game is when Zed Key went down. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the stretch that uh, ended his season, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, it's going to be a different team. And, obviously, they're playing for a little bit more this time around. Whereas, we all thought they were just going to, you know, lose their first game and skedaddle back yeah. home. For yeah, the I, thought th- I thought they were absolutely just going to fold. Yeah, and good on them for not doing that, but... I you just how is this possible for you to do this four games in four days yeah. like that just doesn't happen mm-hmm. even in a tournament setting or the b- holiday break settings you don't play that this is really the only time of year when you're gonna do that yeah yeah and in the uh, in the last game where these two teams met um, Sensabaugh accounted for twenty of the fifty five points. And Zach Eady just was nearly unstoppable. 
Um, he had 26 points and 11 rebounds. So no one on Ohio State can really slow Zach Eady. So that is the hope um, for this game going forward tomorrow. Now, that is really all we really need to say about Ohio State. For those uh, listening, wondering when are we recording this, uh, Penn State just beat Northwestern 67-65 to um, in a heck of a game. So they are moving on. It probably locks up their NCAA tournament spot with that win, I would think, oh, for sure. Penn State. Yeah. Um, but I have one final question for you about superstitions, Ryan, and it's something I just realized. Okay. So let's let's assume things go absolutely perfectly for Purdue. That means uh-huh. they could have as many as eight games left. Uh, check mm-hmm. my math there. Two in the, in the uh, Big Ten tournament left. And then six, six in the NCAA, right? So eight games possible. Yeah. Uh, I happen to have eight, and I bef- just be prepared for this. I happen to have mm-hmm. eight pints of ice cream in my freezer, <laughs> and I okay. really, really was gonna be excited to have some ice cream after we got done recording. But I feel like I have to not have ice cream because mm. there are eight pints of ice cream. And with eight possible games left, I feel like it's a sign, and I'm only supposed to eat them after the last eight games, because that's all I'll need for the rest of the season. Oh, okay. Have you been eating them after victories? No, I have not, but I just got the ice cream yesterday. Okay. So I Um, ordered, because I had to get the the Ted Lasso ice cream from Jenny's Ice Cream. I I had to get it. And the only way I could guarantee myself getting it is I had to order it from them and get it shipped. So I bought five mm-hmm. pints of ice cream, and there was already a sale on Ben & Jerry's, so I have three pints of ice cream of Ben & Jerry's. So now I have eight pints of ice cream, and there are eight games possibly left in the season. I think it's a sign, and I can't have ice cream tonight. Okay. I, I, I support that superstition. Okay. So. And, and I just want everybody to know... I'm sacrificing for this team because I really want that I, that ice cream right now. Um, but I will right. hold off, and just like Ryan will hold off wearing any other shirt but the one he was wearing today uh, to that game tomorrow and to the mm-hmm. game on Sunday if we win tomorrow. Is that right? Ooh. Yep, yep, that is correct. Okay, so. all right. I hope you can pop it in some, some washing in a washing machine if you need it. So uh, any final thoughts, Ryan, about tomorrow's Ohio State game? Uh, just... Just do what you're supposed to do and make your shots. That's right. That's right. So we'll be back, uh, Purdue back tomorrow, 1 Eastern on CBS. Uh, We will be back Mm -hmm. recording again tomorrow night. And, hey, maybe we'll be talking about a Sunday championship game with Purdue versus either Penn State or Maryland or IU. Maryland, IU coming Mm -hmm. up next. Uh, Should be a good game. So for Ryan and myself, thanks for joining us through this Big Ten tournament. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Boiler up. Hammer down.